to a Hope 103.2 podcast. Glenda had taught scripture in the local high school for years, with little observable fruit. She had been faithful in the task, but had not witnessed students coming to Christ for almost a decade. That year, everything changed. A citywide movement of prayer had commenced, and her particular group prayed specifically for Sydney's North Shore. They pleaded the Lord of the Harvest to open the hearts of many who had not yet known him. In particular, they prayed for the school ministries in which a few of them were involved. Within a year, Glenda's ministry was booming as she hosted regular evangelistic events in her home. As many as 20 students from the local high school eagerly crammed into her lounge room to ask their questions and to hear guest speakers she invited along. At least six of the students from her class of 1982 turned to Christ for the first time. Three of them are now passing on the gospel full time, including me. A few years after these strange days, I asked Glenda what she put her success down to. Without blinking, she answered, prayer. We prayed earnestly, regularly and specifically for your school and the Lord in his grace answered us. As an evangelist who is sometimes tempted to think too highly of skill, style and creativity in evangelism, her words are a salient reminder that the harvest is the Lord's, not mine. The most basic gospel-promoting activity then is not evangelism. It is prayer to the Lord of the harvest. Jesus made this very point in an important text on the subject. Matthew 9:35 Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness when he saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd then he said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few ask the lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field He called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These twelve Jesus sent out. This passage is a deliberate hinge in the Gospel of Matthew. It summarizes the mission of Jesus so far in the words, Jesus went through all the towns and villages preaching. And it introduces for the first time the involvement of Jesus' disciples in that mission through prayer and preaching and healing. We have here an important passage on mission, one crammed with important insights into what it means to participate in Jesus' work. Before the mission of Jesus' disciples is introduced, Matthew provides us with a rare insight into the Lord's emotional stance toward his work. When he saw the crowds, we're told, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. There are a number of Greek terms that can be translated into English, compassion. Matthew has chosen the most evocative one to describe Jesus' feeling. The word is splanknizomai. It's the verb form of the word for internal organs. We might say he was gutted. At the very least, Matthew is saying that Jesus was deeply, inwardly moved by the plight of those without a shepherd, those without God's Messiah. I remember watching the evening news 
during the Kosovo crisis years ago. At one point, footage was shown of orphaned Albanian children being piled into an open-top truck and driven away, quite possibly never to see their hometowns or relatives again. At one point, the camera zoomed in on one child's desperate face, and I felt physically sick with grief. That is the feeling Matthew ascribes to Jesus when he looked at the crowds. In passing, it's worth reflecting on our own attitude toward the crowds today living in ignorance and defiance of the shepherd, that blasphemous colleague at work, the materialist down the road, the cynical relative or friend, the ever-mocking journalists in the media. It's easy to look down on such people, to view them with scorn and anger. Now, righteous anger might be appropriate sometimes, but I reckon we'd do well to recall Matthew's summation of Jesus' emotional response to the unbelieving masses. Following Jesus in his mission must at least mean sharing something of his compassion. And it's directly out of this compassion that the call to be involved in the mission comes. In verse 37, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority. Now, I am very struck by these words. Humanly speaking, the most obvious solution to the problem of a plentiful harvest and few workers would have been straight away to send out more workers, those who can announce the arrival of the shepherd. But this is not exactly how it works. Before Jesus calls and sends out the twelve disciples, there in chapter 10, verse 1, he asks all disciples to get involved in the harvest in a more basic way in verse 37. They are to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out such gospel workers. The vital link then between the masses who need to hear the gospel and the few who actually go out and are sent to preach the gospel is the whole bunch of us actually praying for the work of the gospel. The word translated ask there in verse 38 ask the Lord of the harvest, isn't actually the normal term for a simple request. It's the more emotive term, deomai, which means to beg or plead. The assumption here is that believers will be moved with the compassion of Jesus for the world, and so will not simply ask God to send out more workers as one request among many. They will plead him to do so. God's people understand the world's need for the shepherd. They feel the compassion of Christ toward them. And so they beg the Lord of the harvest to advance the work of the gospel. Evangelism is grounded in heartfelt prayer. I realize this is a mother's milk statement, but sometimes I'm in danger of treating it as if it were mother's milk, something you grow out of. How many of our churches have spent more time crafting mission statements, devising strategic plans and organizing evangelistic programs than pleading with God for success in these activities?
I'm charging myself here, actually. In my own church, we try to remain conscious of the priority of prayer. Instead of developing a manifold strategy for evangelism, we decided to produce and distribute a seven-paragraph congregational prayer, something that captured our hopes as a congregation and gave focus to our pleas to the Lord. We figured that even if our strategies failed, the Lord might still answer our prayers. The irony in our case, unfortunately, is that we probably gave more hours to writing, designing and printing this church prayer than we have done since in conducting prayer meetings. But our mission to the world is grounded not in strategy or technology or innovation, but prayer. Hope 103.2. Thanks for listening.